What the Health with Gabby Allen on FUBAR Radio. Hello, 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 and welcome back to my show. Good morning, everybody. We are joined today on What the Health Show. On this fabulous show, we have lots of amazing people joining us talking about all things health and fitness. We are joined every single week with industry leaders and professionals to discuss, dissect new trends and misconceptions. And I'll tell you something, we learn something new every day. Tell you that for nothing. Thanks for joining me today. You're in the right place if that's what you want to do, if you want to learn more about your health and fitness. Because also, at the end of each show... I answer some of your fitness questions too. So make sure you stick around because you never know, someone might ask a question that you've been dying to know the answer to. And in the meantime, if there's anything else that springs to mind, just drop me a DM on What The Health Show. So at What The Health Show on Instagram and hopefully we will get back to you. So what do we have coming up today then? A great show as always. Later, we'll be joined by the no fucks given personal trainer Harriet Harper, the legend, and Tom Quinn, Director of External Affairs at Best. But first of all, we're going to be discussing and debunking some of the biggest myths around sleep. I am dying to have this conversation because I am a bloody terrible sleeper. So I'm joined now by Heather Darwell-Smith, Specialist Sleep Psychotherapist. Hello, my love. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Happy Tuesday. Are we on Tuesday? Yes, we are. How are you today? Yeah, Grace, you look fabulous. So, I want to know everything about sleep. As a sleep (laughs) expert, what are the main sleep issues you come across? Oh, probably the biggest ones are insomnia-based with difficulties falling asleep, staying asleep and waking too early. Um, I think that's probably 90% of my work. Um, But also issues with um, circadian rhythm so timing so people who might have a delayed body clock or an advanced body clock so that their body clock doesn't fit with the sort of nine to five of life so they're trying to fit their sleep into a period that actually doesn't work for them oh so people are actually like it's in it's instilled in you like in your genes with some of us or with all of us like how we should sleep <gasps> that's yeah, crazy yeah. Is yeah. that like why the cavemen used to wake up dead early? Because they were built like that and now we're just programmed to be lazier, I feel like, these days. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we're programmed to be lazier. Um, we I mean we share that cellular timing, the clock mechanism. We have a, a clock in every cell in our body that keeps time for us and, and dictates our sleep-wake time. But I think um, the thing about cavemen is they didn't have electric lights or um, Twitter and smartphones and Instagram. <laughs> TikTok, Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So why do you think that we are all struggling to get a good night's sleep then? What are the top things that you think are restricting us from getting those eight hours a night? Ah, well, you asked two questions there. So the the first one is the eight hour question. Um, I think that's problematic because we don't necessarily need eight hours. So quite often people are striving for this magic eight when actually they're never going to get it because their body actually may, may want only seven. So you're sort of setting yourself up to fail when you think, right, I'm going for eight, but I'm not getting eight. Oh, there must be something wrong with my sleep. But actually, you may never get eight. The eight hour thing is a real myth. So it's really important to to sort of work out, well, actually, how much do I need so that I feel okay and keep that consistent across the week? It's never going to be perfect every night, but it sort of goes up and down. And as long as the sort of big picture is okay, you'll be okay. 
think that's, that's yeah, I think that's really interesting because also it can kind of create a bit of a um, anxiety about pe- in it as well because it, even myself I'm like well I need to get eight hours so I'll you know set my alarm clock to to wake up at a certain time and then if I don't get it I'm like well I haven't had eight hours so I must you know I'm going to struggle today. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's almost sort of setting. So if you imagine sleep as, as your friend and now you're saying to your friend, right, come on, you've got to perform. You've got to give me eight hours sleep and sleep's going to go. Well, why do I want to do that? So when you ask the question about what blocks it. So if you're stressed or um, overexcited or you've been to the gym and done a really hard workout and your body's still really hot, sleep's going to take one look at you and say, well, why do I want to get into bed with you? You're a bit <laughs> over the top, so sleep's like out of here. And then, of course, if you're asking sleep to then perform under those circumstances, it's like, why Why would I do that? So um, you're expecting something I'm not going to do. I love that analogy. Sleep doesn't want to get into bed with you. Great. Um, so would you say that they are the main things that are affecting us um, and falling asleep, um, the training, you know, I find that if I'm at my laptop till too late, my brain is still thinking about work and then I'm dreaming about people's bloody programs. Yeah. So, I mean, insomnia really responds to something called hyperarousal and that's when our, our nervous system is is on, on alert, it's up high. So if you think how the stress response works, if it, it's responding to what it perceives as, as a threat, so it comes up into a alertness. It's like a, a meerkat, if you like. It's like up here going, right, what's going on? What's going on? Actually, it needs to know, uh, okay, I've let go of the day. I've relaxed. I've put my laptop away. I've chilled out. Mm. And then it is much more likely to be easy to fall asleep. But if we're in this state of hyperarousal, which unfortunately so many of us are because, you know, that's life, then of course we're on this go, go, go. And then you're asking sleep to come in and, and hold your hand to bring you down. But actually how can we come down so that the transition is a bit easier? Okay, so on that then, how does things like alcohol affect sleep? Because sometimes people drink to try and go to sleep. Yeah, and that's really common and, and quite understandable because if you're having difficulty falling asleep and then you're worried about I'm not gonna get any and so, people will often use different things to help them but alcohol for most people works really well as a sedative it knocks you out Mm. but about four to five hours depends how much you've had to drink but four to five hours later you get this switch where um, your body's then processed it it's left the body you might be really dehydrated but also it really fragments the second half of sleep REM sleep so you can often feel really um, lethargic and just tired even though you might have slept Mm. the the nature of how you've slept is changed by alcohol it's technically a poison though isn't it alcohol so it goes into your body and it's uh, it's not good for us (laughs) no but we do enjoy it yeah we have a good time we have a good time and we and you think well you know sometimes we want to let our hair down but um and that's fine if we if we know there's going to be consequences and it's like right okay i'm going to go out have something to drink there's going to be consequences. So how do I then look after myself the next day so I'm not freaking out about it? Mm. It's it's sort of taking that again. It's t- stepping back and going, yeah, I do want to go out with my mates and have a drink, but how am I going to recover tomorrow? It's think, thinking about how we hydrate, how we then eat. You might want to rest and take a nap in the afternoon to, to, to try and catch up on what might have got fragmented the night before. So it's, it's, about, be, it's about being realistic, looking at the whole sort of, the whole how picture. do I care for myself mm-hmm. in this? I am 
a hungover napper, I'll tell you that. Uh, there's nothing better than a hungover nap. Um, on that, um, I can't think. On that then, we're going to talk about mocktails. We're going to talk about the sleepy girl mocktail that has been going viral on TikTok. So it's a mixture of tart cherry juice. This is news to me, by the way. Magnesium and soda water. Is that actually going to make you fall asleep? Well, it's a really interesting one because technically, technically, you could argue that potentially. But the problem, there's a number of problems with it. Firstly, um, the tart cherry juice. So the that's that's a very particular cherry called um, Monte Monteromacy cherries. I can't remember the precise name. Mm. But it's very tart, so it tends to have a lot of sweetener with it to make it drinkable. Um, and to drink, and yes, studies have shown that um, a certain amount of this can help induce sleepiness because there's some sort of relationship to melatonin. However, my understanding is that you need so much of the juice that actually there might be a flip side to that because it can act quite as a, quite a strong um, mover in your digestion. Um, so you need more, but also to drink it, you need it to be sweet. And actually, you don't really want to be drinking something that's sweetened. Yeah. Then when you add in magnesium, now we do know that there are certain types of magnesium that are helpful for sleep. Threonate and glycinate, for example, are well known to be quite helpful, especially if you're working out a lot. But if you pick the wrong magnesium, if you pick, um, and it's hard to know this if you don't know, if you pick magnesium citrate, well, again, that is a very effective laxative. It's um, used in things like <laughs> magnesium to really. So you've got a double hit there. You've got two substances that could well help, but they also could have you on the loo. And then if you add in, um, I know that the mocktails, some of them are a bit making them with um, a sort of fermented fizzy drink. Um, I mean, that's quite a subtle effect as to whether that's going to affect you or not. Um, but you see what I mean? That you, so you've got this dilemma. We know that. Yes, research does show that tart cherry juice can help. Yes, certain types of magnesium can help. But equally, there's a complete flip side that could have you on the loo. I mean, you don't want that, do you? You're taking something <laughs> to try and help you sleep and then you end up on the loo all night? I'd be fuming. Okay, so I want to ask you a few questions, a few quick fire questions about myths, okay? So quick answers so we can get as much out of this as possible, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so... Do you actually need eight hours of sleep? We've already answered that, so let's move on. Does exercising at night disturb your sleep pattern? Um, yes and no. Depends on timing, duration, and intensity. So um, if you do a really hardcore um, HIIT workout at 10 o'clock, uh, at 9 o'clock, and then want to go to bed at half 10, the likelihood is your body temperature is going to be up, your stimulation's up. So it's about... Do the workout, but how do you come down? You might want a cool shower. You might want some time to decompress. So don't miss the workout. Just think about timing, duration. Plan and it properly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, should you wake a sleepwalker? No. <gasps> I need to know why. Why not? Um, <laughs> because they don't know they're doing it. They're actually in a really state deep, uh, state, deep state of sleep, deep sleep. So um, if they're woken from it, they will be really disorientated. If you imagine yourself, you know, if you get a, the alarm clock goes off at four o'clock in the morning, you've got to get an early flight. You wake up and you go, oh, God, really? It's called sleep inertia. You're really groggy. So you're waking a sleepwalker out of that state. So they could be really disorientated. They won't have a clue what's going on. So it's better to just help them gently go back to their bed and put the duvet over and 
it's all okay. I've never actually dealt with a sleepwalker, so I bear that in mind just in case. And then lastly, do women have worse sleep than men? Um, technically, the research shows yes. Um, Why do we have it so much worse than men in every every aspect of life? <laughs> I know, I know. It's not, it's not fair, is it? No. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons, as you can imagine. I mean, hormones and... Um, the swing, the period swing does for some people is really, really impactful because the way the hormones come in and out um, can affect your levels of sleepiness as will pain. Um, but for sure, the research shows that I think, um, I can't remember the exact split, but it is definitely higher in women um, all the way through our lives. So it's a tricky one, that one. We are just the stronger the stronger side. I'm sorry, just saying that. <laughs> Don't at me, anyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've, I wish I could have you on for longer, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to let you go. I'm going to be dropping you a message later because I have so many messages about sleep. So thank you so much, Heather, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Yay. Lovely to speak to you. Take care. Lots okay, of love. Bye. bye. How lovely was she? It's actually crazy how much sleep, I think sleep and gut health really affect everything that you do in life. And I think if we can try and get our health in those areas of our life better, then we would just live forever. That's my opinion on that. Okay, so I want to talk to you now about my exercise of the week. It's not really an exercise, but it's more of a an addition to your workouts. I want to talk about active recovery. It's a nice way to spice up a workout and burn an extra few calories in your session if that's something that you want to do. Because sometimes I find that, especially my clients that in their upper body sessions, they tend to get a bit caught up on not burning enough calories during that session. But it's obvious, in your lower body, you've got bigger muscles, you're lifting heavier weights, you're going to burn more calories, your heart rate's going to be lifted a little bit more, unless you're obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger and you're lifting buses above your head but um there is a way to you know get a little bit more out of that calorie expenditure during your session and that is active recovery so what does that mean it's basically what it says on the tin moving more in between your exercises so during the recovery set keeping your heart rate going so i wouldn't recommend doing this on your leg day because on your leg day between your sets you want to not be able to get up off the floor after those hip thrusts you know that burn that you get yeah no no active recovery then but on your upper days or on other days where you may be doing a full body session in your little rest periods why not add in some abs or do 20 high knees and then say if you've got a minute you do 20 high knees and that's 20 seconds out of the way then you've got the rest of the minute to rest but it just gives you that little bit of a you know, a little bit of oomph into it. And it also makes those rest periods go a little bit faster. I find that when you have a shorter amount of time to train, so say if you've got a shorter session, it's nice to just keep it going, you know, keep that pump going the whole way through. And then before you know it, your 45 minute session is up and you have burned 300 calories and you are Arnold Schwarzenegger by the end of it. Okay, so after the break, we are joined by Harriet Harper. I will see you then. Follow us at What The Health Show for more from Gabby. This is What The Health. FUBAR Radio presents... What The Health with Gabby Allen. Joining me now is Millie Gooch, author and founder of Sober Girl Sobriety Society. I need to know what is so bad about dating sober. 
I think it's just terrifying when you, it's something that you're not used to because I, when I was drinking and dating, you know, like you use it to calm your nerves, you use it yeah. for confidence, you rely on it. And I think that's the one thing I realised when I stopped drinking is how much I really relied on alcohol. It was always kind of say, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm not dependent on it, but for my confidence, I, I was mm. really. But I also think there's so many benefits to it. Like mm. I, I used to go on so many dates when I was drinking, I'd be like, they are the one. And then I'd meet <laughs> them a few weeks later sober and I'd be like, we've got nothing in common. What was going through my mind? I'd be like, oh, it was because um, yeah. I was drunk. Access all areas with Bobby Norris. Harpreet, how are you, my love? <laughs> I'm great, thank you. How are you? It looks fun in there. I want to talk about this because also you met your partner on The Apprentice. When did you start to get that feeling, I, I, I'm into him and this is more than just a, a banter or a friendship? Because it's a close environment being on a show like that, isn't it? I really wish I could sit here and give loads of juicy gossip that actually we used to secretly meet in the laundry room on the show, but we didn't. Um, and when I actually last spoke with yourselves, it, I think it was right after I'd won, we weren't even flirting, never mind dating. First time that I thought I actually fancied him was when I watched him on TV and I watched episode <laughs> one. Hang like, on. You know, he's actually really good looking. Politics Uncensored with Ali Milani. And joining me in the studio, we have Deputy Leader of the Green Party, Zach Polanski. Zach, thank you so much for joining us. How are you keeping, Zach? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you? So you're, you're hoping for four MPs in the general. You think that's going to happen? Yeah, that's absolutely the minimum at what we're I don't want to be Piers Morgan here, but will you take out... I don't have a thousand pounds, but you take a hundred pound bet with me that... <laughs> you'll get four MPs. Well, I do everything in politics to talk about the harms of gambling. So for me to Very place a bet there would be pretty, you know, pretty horrendous. We spoke, we spoke, <laughs> we, before we had you on, uh, we, we, we discussed with the producers as to whether I should do the bet joke. Um, and I said I would because I, I had every faith that you would answer it in the way I expect a politician sure. of any moral standing. We should also talk about standing. cryptocurrency, which also is very yeah. problematic. Rishi, if you're, if you're listening, mate, <laughs> that's how you answer a betting question. You're listening to Food Bar Radio. Joining me now is the legend, the myth, Harriet Harper, personal trainer and founder of the HH Method. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you, babe? I'm fantastic. You're looking wonderful today. As are you. So, I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions just so we can break the ice, although we already know each other, yeah. very quickly, and just so people can get. And just so we can get to, the audience can get to know you know a bit better. Bloody hell, I can't get my words out today. So here we go. Three words to describe yourself. Go. Oh, my gosh. Um, bougie. Yes. <laughs> um, hilarious. Um, ambitious, I'd say. I think they are exactly what you are. <laughs> the I would also say... No fucks given. <laughs> that is literally you, or zero bullshit. I mean, oh, that's three words. Um, okay, so next up, I want to ask you, my love. In fact, I'm going to ask you a different question that's on my sheet here. I want to ask you, what do you prefer, deadlifts or hip thrusts? Um, honestly, I hate hip thrusts. No way! No. You are the hip thrust queen. I'm good at them, but I hate them. Um, I love the feeling of doing deadlifts and feeling that strong. Yeah. But I'm shit at them, so I don't do them. You're not shit at them. Um, You're being very hard on yourself. No, I never do them. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd do hip thrust more. 
Okay. But I don't love the movement. I do my hip thrust and my PB is 150 and she does like 300, something like that. And I'm like, how are you? I wish I and if she's like, it. I don't actually enjoy them, okay, fuck you, in the best possible way. They're just so long to set up. They are, they are, but they're so worth it. Everyone, if you look at Harriet Harper's ass, that is the definition of a hip thrust. Okay, so workout in the morning or evening. I'm a I'm a middle of the day gal, but I have the luxury of being able to do that because mm. I work from home. Um, it, when I worked in an office, I was end of the day. I I don't have the energy on the morning. Really, I'm um, a proper morning gal. I just want to get it out of the way because by the time it gets to the evening, especially if you've been up at like five a.m., I don't want to do it when it gets. I to... really wish I was. To clients, I'd always I'd recommend say I'd say go in the morning. Go in if the you morning. Can. Mm. Um, but it's also like sometimes like when I was working in an office, my gym was next to my work. Yeah. So it was always just easier. Quite easy yeah, to yeah. Fall yeah. in there after work. Um, what is your go-to cheat meal? We don't do cheat meals, babes. We just eat what we. Fair enough. Um. Oh, there! I know this one. Go to drink, spicy mug. Ah, uh, yeah, but I'm also not a big drinker anymore. Me either. Um, I'm a wine girl now. I, if I go out to a bar, spicy mug. If I'm having dinner, wine, always wine. That I'm is the bouginess coming through. She's mm. evolved, people. I'm evolving. Okay, so who is apart from me? Obviously, who is your dream workout partner? Oh, good God, these questions. I'm not prepared. <laughs> she wasn't prepared. J-Lo. Yeah. If I could look like J-Lo at the age of 50, we need to know her fitness I just, regime. I would just want, I just want to be around her. So work out, dream. Just to look at her. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me. Okay, so, well, thank you for that. I would like to move on to now ask you why and what made you become a personal trainer? Oh, long story. I'll, I'll shorten it. Yeah, shorten it, because we've only got, like, <laughs> 18 minutes. Um, I was very clueless. I think I was maybe about 26, and I was that classic girl of looking at an influencer just wanting her body. Mm -hmm. So I'd just buy their, like, cheap PDFs and go to the gym and try do them. And I just know, something in me was like, I can do a better job than this. Mm -hmm. Like, once I kind of got the knack for it, I was like, mm, I could do a better job than this. Anyway, then I had a bit of a mental breakdown uh, in my mid-20s. Um, got given some time off work, just wasn't in a good place mentally, and needed something to focus on. So I thought, well, oh, do you know what? I'll do a course in PT. I'll do mm -hmm. my PT focus course. On something. Focus yeah, on yeah. something. It's something I enjoy. I like the gym. I knew nothing. Mm -hmm. So I did that, and then I was like, right, now I could get a little weekend job on, on the side of my nine to five. Um, and I got one, and I was so, so proud of myself. And I used to do that every Sunday, and I just hated the industry. I hated the social media aspect. I hated the bitchiness. I hated how I'd, I'd looked up to so many people in the industry, because Southwest London's quite a hub for it, isn't it? Yeah, for the everyone knows everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like very and ended, clicky. Yeah, and I ended up starting to meet some of them. And I was just like, no, no offense. I was younger <laughs> as well, but like, I was just like, I, well, I remember going home to my friends one night and being like, I'm so glad you're my mates. <laughs> because I just didn't like, I didn't yeah. like that industry. So I just completely came out of it. I came off, like, in, came off posting on Instagram all the time. And then in lockdown, um, I was older, so I was like 32. Mm. I was kind of, uh, I knew myself a bit more. And I was actually much better with social media. I was like, I wasn't trying to be anyone or trying to fit in anywhere. So I just started it up again. Um, and it just took off from there. And I was put on furlough and then I was taken off furlough and made redundant. So I was like, right, it's now Fuckers. or never. Let's just do it. 
Yeah. No, it all happened for the best. Um, I think now it's funny that you said that you hated the social media world because I've obviously known you for a few years now and it's been so amazing to watch you grow and like you you are your own niche on its own. And as you said, like the people that you probably looked up to before or, you know, like kind of inspired you before, now you are your total, your own thing on its own. And I love that for you. You're a proper like female entrepreneur, smash it, like people are inspired by you, including myself. So you've so you've smashed it. I well done, you. I think looking up to people is important, but I would now do it as in terms of, of business. Now people look up to me, no, bitch. No, but like I would, <laughs> I I regret ever looking up to someone for wanting their body. Fair enough. You know. Yeah, and then that leads me on to ask you about your zero bullshit approach. As you said, then you don't do cheat meals and stuff, which I love that too. But then, how do you train and give advice to your clients? In that, in that like respect then without saying just eat what you want do you know what I mean so you're not saying to them no food is cheating but you also want them to get results right yeah if a, if a, if a client is specifically going for junk food we can call it junk food because there are certain foods that you know that aren't going to have the best nutrient value like yeah. they're, they're not going to make you feel as good they're mm. not going to give you as much energy they're not going to be as like beneficial in terms of protein content um so if a client's always going for that kind of meals th- that's quite a habit thing that they're not educated enough in the nutrition you have to be educated mm. in what actually makes you feel good what's going to benefit me and once you start doing those things as well as starting the exercise and starting being a bit more active and starting getting into a routine you realize how these foods make you feel, how loads of alcohol every weekend makes you feel. And you know what? If you want to have those meals every day, please do. But if you have a goal, let's teach you about how those foods, how ultra-processed foods are fine, but also they're not going to just make you feel your best if, if your goal is to feel your best. 100%. And I think that is the main word there is education, isn't it? Sometimes people don't know enough about the food side of things. So that they don't know how good you will feel when you're eating just that little bit cleaner I don't know everything. I'm not like a pro-nutritionist, but I know if I have a glass of wine, I feel shit. Mm. If I I ate a pizza every night, I I don't think I'd feel shit, but it wouldn't align with my personal physique goals. Yeah. And it wouldn't allow me to hit my protein content. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't... I could have my veg on the side, but again, it doesn't have as much (laughs) nutrient value, high nutrient value, but... I don't think it, it really depends on the goal. What? How do you take your no zero approach to your training in clients then? I'm quite focused in my training, um, but I do think it's made way more complicated than it needs to be. I think I think the the amount of education out there at the moment is absolutely fantastic. I le- learn so much from Instagram through following the right people, but I think people who are starting out think they need to know that amount of mm. knowledge. They don't. Mm-hmm. You just need to learn the basics and once you find what you enjoy within that so say your strength training or hypertrophy training or uh, once you find what you want to get good at and what your goals are then you can start knuckling down on those things so i know my goals within my training so i'll stick to that but even i lose my mojo like i've just hired my own coach because i was getting so sick of making excuses Mm. and not going in because i was like oh it's my program i do my own programming i'll just do it the next day and now it's like this is your rest day this is a day you yeah. train, and that helps me. Um, so, in terms of training, I've just always wanted to be strong. I've always, I am vain. I want to look good, and I will always admit <laughs> that. I don't train because it's like 
oh, oh, I'm not going to be one of those people who says, don't train for your body, just train for your mind. I do both. Yeah. And it's okay to say yeah. that. But I think people really need to decide on their goal and not worry so much about knowing everything so early on. Yeah. Because it's, it's not that deep. And allow it to get deeper as you move on. I like that point that you've got your own trainer too, because, you know, that's what we do. We say, if we train you, we can do this, this, and this for you. But then who's doing that for us, kind of? Mm. So I think that's good. And that also, as you say, that... You, we should never stop learning. Mm. You can learn so much from other people. Like I learn from you. I learn from other people that I w see on Instagram, things like that. And hopefully people see that in me too. But I just think that sometimes because the wealth of knowledge out there is a lot, it can be quite contradictory as well. Yeah. So sometimes you also have to focus on like people that you're like, right, okay, I'm going to focus on what that person says because I agree with what they're saying. I kind of resonate with what they're saying rather than looking at 10 people and being like, I need to do all of these different types of things. You know, people are doing a hybrid training right now. People are doing loads of running. Like, it's like, should I be doing all of these things? But that's okay. If, that, if your goal is to be a hybrid athlete, do that. If your goal is to build more muscle, and it's like what you were saying before about jumping around in rest periods, right? I, my niche, would never do that. I was, I was thinking this, thinking you sat in there going, I bet how it was going, <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> But that's not going to be beneficial to my style of training. Yeah. It, if your style of training, great. It's not that it's wrong or right. It's just we may have different goals or different approaches. And it's not going to be beneficial to my hypertrophy training because I want that recovery. Mm -hmm. And I get that. When you said it, I was like, I get that message daily. Yeah. What do you do in your rest period? I'm like, you sit, sit there. there. <laughs> Why is everyone always She sits there and I'm doing high knees. I'm like this. <laughs> for like five minutes I'm like leave me be let me have my silence for <laughs> five minutes I don't I don't get how people don't know what to do in their rest periods can I ask you your one of your things is making women feel confident in the gym how important is confidence when it comes to helping women achieve their fitness goals massively because again it's that it's that thing of the fear we see so much online and it overwhelms us you need to break it down. And through, I give women confidence, I like to think through education. And it's like anything, it's like walking into a first day of you, your new job. Me walking on here, like I said, I didn't know what you were gonna ask me. <laughs> I'm not confident. I've I'm, never seen her this vulnerable before, guys. I wasn't <laughs> confident, because I'm like, I don't know what to expect. If you walk into the gym for a first time, you don't know what to expect. It's okay to admit yeah. that it's scary, yeah, but comfort so zone. is everything. Mm. So is everything in life. So you just have to kind of educate, start at the bottom, work your way up, the more you do it, the more you feel confident. It's. I used to be terrified. I used to hide. Right? Even when I first joined One London, like I, I started filming there when I more recently started my career in fitness. And I was like, I was told, like, come on, you have to start getting content out. So I'd like hide around the corner and film. I wasn't confident. <laughs> I still do that. But to now be fair. I'm like, move out of the way, my big Sony camera. <laughs> <laughs> but like, she is. She says she's not, but she people is. People aren't confident doing something for the first time. Yeah. But it all comes from education and learning more and doing it repeatedly and also no fucks given or just don't look around like nobody's actually really that interested in you sorry to say yeah, it we're all interested in ourselves yeah we're all worried about our own shit mm. that we've got going on so i know that it might feel that people are looking at you but they're really not so head down get your weights on the rack and get thrusting people i think women have each other's back way more now yeah that brings me on to ask you do you think social media Misha, do you think social media has contributed to all those women that we see in the gym now? 
I feel like the weight section is full, full of more women than yeah, men these days. 100% because it didn't exist when I was... It's amazing to see. When I was early 20s, and I didn't use Instagram until I was like 25 properly. And I would, yeah, I would, it was women that went to classes. When, where I was from, women did the classes. There was a few women in the gym and men were on the gym floor. And it took me so long to pluck up the courage. Yeah, I do think it's helped because we see it more. And what we see, we think is normal. Yeah. And I think, well, I still get the odd message every now and again saying, you're too manly, stop lifting weights. And I'm like... See, I see that on so many girls' deals. I've, it's one thing I've never been told. I you're just not as hench as me, mate. I, oh God, I, think <laughs> I just... I, I think we all know it's trolls because it's, it's people with huge followings like yourself. You're going to get way more negative. But it does make you think. more eyes on you. And I'm just like, who... What? Who it's are just you Barry at that? home, like it's who's Barry, never lifted a weight in his it's life. Barry at home. No offense to the Barrys, <laughs> but it's Barry at home. They want a reaction. Just delete the comments. No one thinks you're that manu. It's it's so ridiculous. But it does, it does sometimes make you think. I'm like, am I too hench? But then I don't care. I no. actually just go and lift heavier because I love it. Like I you said before, for deadlifts. Yeah. As well, I know clients whose parents say it to them like um, don't pick up a weight yeah. or like frown at them if they lift heavy even my, even my mom at the beginning was like oh that's dangerous <laughs> and now she's like can you teach me oh. <laughs> um, what are the ingredients to be the best effective personal trainer then teach us you work with people and I think people forget that so you have people by people right if your your client wants to relate to you, they want to understand you, they want to get on with you, stop trying to be someone else and be yourself. Because yes, you may try and be someone else and copy their style because you think that's what's going to get you business in personal training. But there is a client somewhere who really buys into your personality and they want that. Yeah. They want that part. So always be yourself. Relate to your client. Understand your client. I am so sick of these trainers being like at 6 a.m i have a sauna at 7 a.m <laughs> but I maybe they do <laughs> yeah that janet working her nine to five isn't going to wake up with a sauna in her garden <laughs> and then have an ice bath like people the the instagram coaches a lot like that's not real it's not that, relatable it's, it's not it's, it's just not what the majority want they, they want to see, okay, well, how can I fit this into my life? You yes. have to understand your client. Every client is so different. Some clients have time in the day to train. Some clients don't have time. Some clients don't have time in the day to get their steps in. Mm. Um, so you just have to really understand the individual. I think that is so, so key um, to coaching one-on-one especially. Um, and which is why I kind of have that attitude of taking off the, the, the pressure quite a lot because I don't want my app to be one size fits all, but I also want it to be accessible for as many women as mm. possible. And if, if you're using my app to make you feel yourself feel confident, great. If you're using it to get hench, great. Both is going to work, but everyone has different so, levels of... I think also talking about, um, like, you want to relate to your trainer and you want to like, like their personality. And I think that's what comes across so well with you on Instagram because you were literally... The, your mic'd up sessions, I just, I just live for them. And the fact that you listen to like Celine Dion <laughs> when you're doing like deadlift, I'm listening to heavy metal trying to get through it and you're just like singing Backstreet Boys. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> she looks odd, but she's not. 
<laughs> okay, one thing that you would say to a new gym goer, like what would be just, no, give me three tips, quick fire, go. Hire help. Like anything in life, if you're doing something for the first time, you're gonna get there so much slower doing it on your own, trying to figure it out on your own as possible, but just hire help. Um, number two, set yourself a schedule and stick to it. Like you're showing up to an appointment and it's gonna get easier and it's gonna be tough at the beginning, but it will get easier. Mm-hmm. And you just have to stick to that routine until it becomes a habit. And yeah, take the pressure off. Stop following accounts on social media that are bodybuilders up here. If mm. you're a beginner, you, d- you don't need to be knowing that yet. Yet, as you move up, you can start learning more of that information. But at the start, it's going to overwhelm you. So I would always find f- find someone who can help you, whether that be a program to follow or a one-to-one coach, because it's going to give you the foundations. Um, I love that. Start small and then work your way up. Start small. Like, like us. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you on, as always. I knew it was going to be a great chat. Everyone go and check out HHF Method on Insta. She's an absolute legend. Harry Harper Fitness on Insta. Oh, Harry Harper, sorry. (laughs) Soz. Um, But yeah, it was amazing having you on, babe. And I will see you in one London. Thanks, babes. See you after the break. Keeping fitness fun. What the hell with Gabby Allen. FUBAR Radio presents Access All Areas Mark from Married at First Sight UK See at the wedding you told Sean you were 26 but you're actually 36 So drop in that deco We ain't gone one or two years either side What was going through your head when you thought I'm going to shave off 10 years A third of your life (laughs) It was instant reaction As soon as anyone says to me how old are you I'm like 26 I just stopped counting after 26 Would I have told him? Probably not no. Ever? Well, <laughs> maybe when we're 80 years old and we've got the grandkids running rounds. And Except like, you wouldn't be 80 years old. You'd be, you'd be 90. Yeah, you'd be 90. <laughs> I'd be 26 still. <laughs> I'd be going around the corner for some more injections. <laughs> Joining me now, the former leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, MP. And there you are stood with hundreds of thousands of people at Glastonbury singing know Jeremy Corbyn. What is that like? It was quite extraordinary. It was an amazing experience and I was very pleased we did it. Um, we wrote the office, we got very excited about Glastonbury. Every single person in the office thought it was necessary for them to be at Glastonbury. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah. Every single one said yeah. it was really necessary yeah. for them to yeah. come. The dating show. I'm friends with uh, a fair few exes and, and I think you can be friends with an ex but yeah, I, I genuinely do. But I do think that it's Timing is everything with that. Well, it, I think it depends what you cast as a friend. Yeah, Are you I talking mean, about, you know, someone you're going to hang out with on your sofa? Like, if you've already shagged, you know, isn't that a bit weird? Or is no, it I weird? think that's a different level of friend. Uh, I think that's a different level of friend. You can be friends with someone. You can't be, like, best fucking friends with someone. I mean, I've got exes that I talk to about their current partners and, and whatever else, and they'll tell me about that sort of stuff. But I wouldn't say, oh, do you want to come over for fucking Chinese and chill on the sofa? You're listening to Food Bar Radio. Hi guys, welcome back. Coming up now, we have Tom Quinn, Director of External Affairs at BEAT. It's Eating Disorder Awareness Week and this year, the charity BEAT have put on a spotlight on Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, otherwise known as ARFID. 
Oh, it's a mouthful. According to the charity's research, it's helping now receive... No, its helpline is now receiving seven times more calls about this serious condition. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Can you explain to us what ARFID is and how it affects people? So, uh, yeah, we we normally run those together. So it's it's RFID. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> Thank God for that. A little bit easier to say. <laughs> um, so yeah, so RFID is a is a eating and feeding disorder where the person affected will um, avoid lots of different types of food or or restrict their food significantly, eat a lot less than they should be, or both. Um, unlike other eating disorders where there's often um, issues to do with sort of body image and concern about weight and shape, they're not always. ARFID is a lot more about the kind of sensory um, experience of eating. So often people with ARFID are very sensitive to the the texture or the taste of certain foods or they might be fearful of eating because they've had a distressing experience with food in the past so you know vomiting or choking or for others it can really just be about a lack of interest in eating but it it, it can be really serious um you know people with ARFID often don't get the you know the healthy nutrients they need and so you can lead to being mal- malnourished but also it can be really distressing. It can be really difficult to, you know, to socialize, to eat out. Yeah. Uh, you know, every, every mealtime can be a real battle. And as you said in your opener, we're seeing a, a massive increase in people contacting us for help about it. Yeah, that's a huge increase. Seven times more calls about this. Is that because it's a newer condition that's being found? Well, certainly um, it's only been recently sort of, diagnosed yeah. and, and so we've been focused on to something. okay i mean i think in terms of this uh you know this experience i'm sure it's been around for a lot longer so what we what we're not sure is whether the massive increase we're seeing as you said a sevenfold increase over the last five years and people in terms of people contacting us is that to do with the illness becoming more prevalent is it because people are more aware of it uh, and yeah for help? i think it's probably a bit of both mm-hmm but certainly, I think it is it is true to say that that more people are reaching out for help, and and, and we think that probably because the illness has got worse. Difficult to know why. We know that the pandemic and and sort of lockdown around that had a big impact on eating disorders generally. Because mm-hmm. people so had way more time about, on their own and things like that. Yeah, eating yeah. disorders. Yeah. We talk about eating sort of sort of thriving in isolation, exactly. And when you don't have those um, usual sort of coping mechanisms, that sort of social mm-hmm. aspect that's so important for people when routines are disrupted, we know that anxiety rose a lot during this time. Um, and people were sort of turning to something else uh, effectively as a coping mechanism. So we, I think that might be something to do with it. Um so do you think now that it is being more researched and it's got a name to it now, do you, is there going to be more specialist care around it? Is, more, is it going to have more time spent on it to make this more accessible for people? Well, it need, I mean, we need that. Mm-hmm. So we, we hear from 
individuals and and from you know parents carers all the time that talk about the difficulty the real challenge it is to get any kind of support for this on the nhs we did some research where we looked at um the websites of eating sort of services around uh, across england we looked at every single one and in eight out of ten cases it was really difficult to see whether there was any support for arford or not so you know support might be might be available in some of those areas, but it certainly wasn't very clear. And so what you've got a situation is that we know that more and more people are reaching out for help, but right now, frankly, that help isn't available. So absolutely, we're calling on on the government, on the NHS to mm-hmm. make sure that they put the funding in, they put the you know the right training in place. Yeah, we need sure more people to specialise in, yeah, available. exactly. Yeah. Um, so it is De- Eating Disorder Week this week, Eating Disorder Awareness Week this week. Can you run us through the most common types of eating disorders, please? Uh, yes. So um, so other than Alfred that we, we've talked about, the other, the other common ones are uh, anorexia, which I imagine most people have heard of, heard of bulimia, and then a, a third one which people may not have heard of, which is called binge eating disorder. So I'll talk about each of those three. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will also say, if people are listening and, and have heard of something else, there's also something called OSFED, which essentially is what it, it, it stands for other specified feeling eating disorder. Essentially, that means that if you don't quite fit into one of those three categories, you know, you might be diagnosed mm. with that. But uh, essentially, let's talk about these three. So. Sorry, can I just ask? Think- before yes. before um Arfid became its own thing then, was that part of that other one, OSFED? Yeah, good question. I think some people were um were diagnosed with that. I think sometimes people were misdiagnosed with anorexia because as I'll say, anorexia yeah. is often about people restricting their mm-hmm. their food. But also, to be honest, I think sometimes people just just weren't getting diagnosis at all and mm. just really, you know, were, were suffering and not getting any help. You know, whatsoever so eating disorders as i said earlier we often talk about being a coping mechanism for other negative thoughts and emotions but they present in different ways so anorexia is usually characterized by people restricting their food intake and um as a consequence uh, that can have quite you know serious risks in terms of life-changing life-ending sometimes um consequences um bulimia is and, and i should say with anorexia often um it's a coping mechanism people with anorexia often um talk about how they restrict their eating as a way of essentially exerting control if they feel like their environment is out of control if they feel highly anxious or stressed or or you know there's they're going through a difficult time at home or at mm. school or whatever it happens to be that 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 sort of controlling of food can be something that at least for a short while helps them to feel better before the anorexia then sort of takes over mm. bulimia is where people will uh, will binge so they'll eat a, a huge amount of food in one sitting till often they sort of feel uncomfortably full and then they will purge so they will um, they might uh, 
make themselves sick. They might take laxatives. They might um, over-exercise. Um, binge eating disorder is a little bit like bulimia in the in the, in that involves binging, that consumption of huge amount of food, but it doesn't then involve purging afterwards. Um, and, and I think both of those eating disorders, certainly coping mechanisms, I said, I think, again, people with those kind of eating disorders, they'll be, they'll be overeating, they'll be binging, um, essentially to try and sort of dampen down negative feelings and um, to take control, try and reduce their feelings of um, of low mood or or whatever it may be. Um, so, can I just ask about you said um, with the bulimia um, and the excessive exercise? Is that does that run across all eating eating disorders as well? Yeah, good question. In two twenty. Um, 2020, a study suggested that eating disorders were four times more likely to develop in an exercise addiction. So how can it be monitored when it comes to people with eating disorders? So um, over-exercise is quite common um, for people with eating disorders. I think particularly actually people with, with anorexia, it's mm. quite common that people who are restricting their diet will also be over-exercising. And I think partly that's to do with, again, a sort of feel, a sense of people want to feel in control that, you know, you can, you can control how much you eat, you control how much you exercise. Mm -hmm. There's often um, sort of perfectionist tendencies, uh, particularly within anorexia in terms of people feeling like, you know, they, they, they'll set themselves a target and, you know, come, Sort of hell or high water they'll hit that target and mm. and and that sort of obsessiveness can be quite common amongst people with anorexia is that um, um is that one of the main signs then to look for if you if you suspected somebody had an eating disorder that over exercise is there anything else that you think you could look out for if you did suspect something um yeah yes yeah, certainly uh, so and just i just say on the over exercise mm -hmm. um i mean I think for that, it's really if, it, if it's becoming a sort of obsession, if, 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 you, if you're noticing yourself or you, you know, because lots of people enjoy exercise, lots of people enjoy keeping fit. And of course, that's that's a great thing, um, you know, great for fitness, great for um, often for sort of helping mood. Um, but if it's becoming a point that if, you know, if you don't manage to, you know, exercise, whatever you set yourself for that week or, you know, if it becomes something that, it's becoming more important to you than sort of socializing or any other kind of um, things you might have to do. That's, I think, when it starts to, to be a sign. Um, I think in terms of other signs, I mean, I think a lot of that is around how people are interacting with food. So if you're noticing friends or family members, perhaps, who are seem to be skipping meals or they talk about, oh, I'll eat, eat later, I've already eaten, or um or you notice them sort of being quite quiet perhaps at the dinner table and you sort of you know um pushing their food around perhaps so that can perhaps be a sign that someone's struggling on more of the restrictive side in terms of binging i talked about purging and how people yeah. will often make themselves sick after eating so again if a loved one is frequently going to the toilet immediately after meals that could be a sign mm -hmm. 
Um, in terms of binging, as I said, these we're talking about sort of really huge amounts of food in one go. I don't want to go into specifics because that could be triggering, but we're talking, you know, we're not talking about, you know, a few extra bis biscuits. You know, we're talking about a lot of extra food. And so, you know, if you're noticing that food is going missing, if you're noticing that people um, are, you know, Mm. buying a lot more food than usual um across all the eating disorders um we often see people becoming socially withdrawn so people are perhaps removing themselves from traditional friendship groups yeah changing or... how they behave in social environments things like that exactly yeah. if people are becoming generally more withdrawn if they're more tired and that could be because you know they're not getting the nutrients and mm. the energy they need from their food or it could be Often people that binge do so very uh, secretly. Uh, there's often feelings of shame around it. And so it's not uncommon for people to binge in the middle of the night. And so actually, if, of course, that's going to... Yeah, that would be a very prominent as well, moment. And, yeah. and then they'll be, they'll be tired. Well, um, I think... I think... Well, I've learned a lot today, you know, it's it's someone I don't know enough about this and it's really great that there's people like you working on it. So thank you for all of your work. You, you've you been great on the show today and I really hope it's helped some people as well listening to you. Thank you for coming on. I hope you have the most amazing rest of your day. And um, yeah, all the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for covering the topic. Thank you. Take care. How lovely was he? I think um, there's a lot of things, lot that we don't know for someone like me that doesn't know and I feel I almost feel a bit embarrassed because I don't know enough about it so um I really loved having him on the show today it was just a bit of a different kind of topic so moving on to our listener questions if you want to get involved by the way I said at the beginning you can send over your questions to me at what the hell show on Instagram and I will try and get back to you Oh, I promise. But first of all, I'm going to talk to you about what Luke says. So he says, what are your thoughts on deload weeks? Should I be doing them regularly? So the answer is here. A deload week is a planned period of rest and recovery that, that is designed to help you avoid constant intense exercise. So you know, you've probably found it yourself. We've even just heard from Harriet here. Sometimes you can just get to a point where you're a bit like, can't really do much more, reached a bit of a plateau, you're getting a bit bored with it, or you just, you know, you need a bit of a break. So deload weeks can either be where you have a week off, maybe you do something else outside of your training structure, or you can do the same structured plan, but just load off the weights a little bit so it gives you your body time to rest rejuvenate but it's also great to help prevent injuries plateaus and burnout because the next week when you come back to it if you've got a new phase of your plan or if you're coming back to the same plan again but maybe just a little tweak it gives you that extra fire to like you know do it properly but the thing is if you ex execute them badly they can fail to ad adequately boost your recovery and simply just be a waste of time for example if you do continue to do your plan for the deload de week and you don't go light enough what's the bloody point you may as well have just done the thing properly so for example if your normal weightlifting routine consists of 80 hard sets per week a deload week would cut the volume in half to say like 40 sets or you could still do your sets, but just lower the intensity of them. So, for example, if you squat 
40 kg. You'd squat 20 kg. Does that make sense? So I really do believe that they are very good for people, especially if you have been consistently training for a while. I would suggest doing it between eight and 10 weeks. But of course, always speak to your trainer if you have one and see what they would recommend for you as well because everybody is different and it just depends on where you are in your fitness journey too. So I hope that helps, Luke. And then I'm now going to answer Rachel's question, which is what are your top tips on measuring progress? Is it best to take pictures or what other ways can I track improvement? So I love this question because I talk to this with my clients all the time. Talk about this. So progress pictures are great because you are able to clearly different differentiate differentiate between week week on week i say that i don't i don't recommend taking pictures week on week because especially as a female we hold water weight we have different parts of our cycle um you might have had you know might be a bit bloated because you ate something the night before but i would suggest taking photos every four to six weeks and if you have been consistently following your program including nutrition and if there's a goal that you're reaching towards you should start to see improvements within that time. So photos is a great way to visually see it, you know? But I also think a great way to feel it is how your clothes feel on you. Because I know in myself, if I if I put on a certain pair of jeans or a, a jacket, there's nothing worse when you put on your jacket and then you just feel a little bit snug and it just doesn't quite fit right on you, you know what I mean? Um, that's another way of measuring your progress or like if you it could be because I've just got more hench you know what I mean that's why the jacket doesn't fit but that's also a good way of feeling how you feel in your clothes do you prefer them when they're a little bit snug is that because the goal is to actually for gains get a bigger bum so your jeans don't fit you anymore great that means I've got a bigger bum or is it because you are wanting to shift a few pounds and therefore you want your jeans to be a bit looser on you so clothes are a good way too and then also measurements it's the same kind of aspect as the um clothes thing but sometimes it's quite alarming in a good way when you measure yourself and you think or you take a picture and you think oh god i don't think much has changed there but then you measure yourself and you're like oh actually i've lost two inches from around my waist there so there's a few different ways you can do it but i would just say unless you're training for something in particular sack off the scales you don't need them it really doesn't matter how much you weigh unless you're getting picked up by a child every day which you're not (laughs) Um, so yeah, I hope that helps you, Rach. And then lastly, I have just started lifting weights at the gym, Flo says, and I'm always feeling sore the day after. What's the best thing to do? So first of all, that's amazing. Good for you starting weightlifting. Like, hopefully this is the start of an amazing journey for you. And that being said, you're just going to have to get used to the dumps. It just depends. It just shows how hard you're working, really. Um... Basically, don't let the doms give you the fear of not going back. I see it quite often. People do one workout and then they can't sit down for a week and they're like, never doing that again. Never want to feel like that again. But the trick is, the longer you do it, the better it gets. The stronger you get, you get more accustomed to the doms, but they also tend to lay off you a little bit more. But ways to tackle them is get outside, go for a walk. Don't just stop moving. I I have done this myself where I'm sore and I'm like, I literally can't do anything because I'm so sore. It's the worst thing you can do to sit there all stiff. Get outside, do a five-minute stretch, get on YouTube and just like put in five-minute stretch and do a downward dog, you know what I mean? Get some oxygen into your body, do some deep breaths and elongate those muscles that you've worked so hard to contract. That also, you can 
eat lots of protein to fuel those muscles, help them repair and recover so that you can come back stronger the week after. Make sure your sleep is good. I would say eight hours, but we've been told we don't need eight hours. So however many hours you need. And lots of water, lots of fluids, and just patience. Just bear with it because I promise you that in the end it will be worth all of the eggs. <laughs> so that, that being said, guys, I've had the most fabulous show as always today. I think we've had three wonderful guests. I hope you did too. Remember, you can listen to all of our previous shows and all of our future shows on all of the good post- podcasting platforms. So go and drop us a follow on those at What the Health Show, also on Instagram. And I will see you next week for another fantastic round. Have a great one. See you soon.